0: In John chapter 12, we'll be reading verses 12 through 33. The word of our Lord from the gospel says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him, when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. And for this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said amongst themselves, You see, we're doing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life on this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice does not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our nature, to suffer death upon a cross giving us an example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering, and therefore may also share in his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ash Wednesday gives way to Palm Sunday. The palms of Palm Sunday, interestingly enough, become the ashes of Ash Wednesday. Those of you who are here for our Ash Wednesday service, you might remember me saying that. that You keep the palm branches and you let them dry out for a year, minus 40 days. And then you burn them after they have dried. It's interesting what palm branches do as they dry. They they become kind of pretty looking, but they smell incredibly. It's, they smell almost like dried tea leaves. Um, but it's interesting the relationship that, that is that Palm Sunday and Ash Wednesday have for one another because we get the ashes from the palms of the previous year, and yet also Palm Sunday in some manner, marks the end of Lent. Now, we still have a few days of of this Holy Week before us, before Lent finally comes to an end. But there's a reciprocal relationship between Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday. Ash Wednesday reminds us of our mortality, that death awaits us all. That it is appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. And so on Ash Wednesday and throughout Lent we are reminded that we are but dust and we shall therefore return to dust. And we shall meet our maker. And so we should search ourselves before that day happens. But Palm Sunday reminds us that we are given life through death. That our Savior entered this world to live a human life and to taste Death, so that he might destroy death in his resurrection. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what we call Holy Week. Now, we didn't sing it this morning, but the lovely song that we sing from time to time, All Things New, we get this, these lines from it, You give beauty for our ashes and a hope that's everlasting. That kind of captures the relationship between Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday. There's an underlying theme during Holy Week that all things are being made new. Holy Week is a peculiar week. It's a um, if you read through the gospel narratives of the events that happen, you find, of course, Jesus entering the, the city of Kings, Jerusalem, the holy city of God, on that Palm Sunday, and he's met by celebration and shouting and laughter and dancing and singing. It's a joyous celebration and yet it's kind of awkwardly um, foreshadowing he rides a donkey he's making way into the city that just days before the disciples said you know they're going to kill you if we go back to Jerusalem the disciples I imagine enter in with all the singing and celebrating and all the merrymaking and laughter and they're probably in their gut remembering he's been telling us for a few weeks now that he's going to be betrayed and given over and he's going to be tortured and killed. What's happening? These people seem to be fans. Certainly what he's been telling us would happen can't happen. I mean look, after all, they're coming out of the city and throwing their garments on the ground for crying out loud. They're tearing branches out of the palm trees and making a road for him. I imagine Peter is, like he said at uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, God forbid that you'll be betrayed. It'll never happen. And so we have on Palm Sunday... At Seemingly chaotic day. Jesus is entering into the holy city, throwing caution to the wind. And he's met by shouts and screams, and he's met by singing. He's met by people who are rejoicing at his entering the city. John tells us why the people are celebrating. So many had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And what the text, if you'll look just a few verses, well, starting in chapter 12 on through those first 11 verses, you find Jesus' anointing at Bethany as a meal was prepared, a celebratory meal in Lazarus' home with Mary and Martha, celebrating what Jesus had done in raising their brother from the dead. And so the the Pharisees and those who are intending to to betray or or to capture Jesus, the chief priests, uh, John tells us specifically, they're plotting to put Lazarus to death also because things are getting out of hand. Here they're murmuring amongst themselves, we've done nothing and look, the whole world's gone after him. And then it tells us that there are some Greeks who have come to Jerusalem. God-fearing Greeks who who are there for this high celebration that is Passover. And they want to see Jesus. And here he rides in to the city of Kings. I think it's it's beautiful and kind of... um, Poignant that uh, John tells us that they these Greeks they go to Philip. And then he talks to Andrew. And he and Andrew approach Jesus. Because you remember in the first chapter of John's Gospel, as Jesus is calling his disciples, he calls Peter and Andrew, and then we read that the next day he also calls Philip and Philip's from the same town that Peter and Andrew came from Bethsaida. And then there's that passage about Nathanael being called and they they go to to grab Nathanael they say we think we found the Messiah. We think we found the one for whom we've been waiting. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And you remember Nathanael's sarcastic snide remark, seriously, Nazareth Does anything good come out of Nazareth? You really think the Messiah is coming from there? It's the backwaters of Galilee. And so, as Jesus is stepping into Holy Week, John has him surrounded by those sorts of conversations that were taking place when he first called his disciples. One running to another and saying, Come, come, look. And now the disciples are kind of his his entourage. They are his protégés, his bodyguards. And the Greeks are coming. We'd like to see Jesus. Well, let's see. On Palm Sunday, some things are set in motion that cannot, or at least will not, be stopped. It's a... Chaotic day, a chaotic time of celebration, and yet danger lies ahead. The crowds cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They cry out that he is the king of Israel, their king, the one who's come to take the throne, the the one who's come to take the scepter of righteousness and restore all things. He's the one who has come. And John wants us to ask ourselves well, who is this king? Who is he? He's the one that Israel had had awaited. He's the one that the scripture said was the son of David, come to sit upon David's throne. He is Israel's Messiah. John tells us that the people have heard about the signs, particularly that last sign of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And those signs that John gives us are substantiating that this is the Messiah, the Christ, the one they have awaited. In their singing, they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you'll take your minds back a few months, you might remember that during our looks at the Old Testament, the Lord's name was something of significance. A name represents a character. The family name. What people think of you when they hear your name. It says something about who you are and what sort of character you have. How you can be depended upon or not. How you work hard or not. In the name of the Lord in the Old Testament was Yahweh. I am who I am or I will be who I will be. And this king, King Jesus, comes in that name, bearing the name of Yahweh to Yahweh's city and before Yahweh's people. Blessed is he. John wants us also to ask ourselves the question, well, why is He coming? The people cry out, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. That word, Hosanna, is actually a, uh, not just a phrase, it's a, it's a whole sentence. Save us, we pray. Save us from what? Save us from Roman tyranny? Save us from the man who's keeping us down? Save us from the unfairness of life? Save us from oppression? Save us from... The infringement upon our individual autonomy. We're tired of being citizens of this Roman world. We want our kingdom. We want our king. We want our king, our way, our lives. Save us, we pray. Israel had a king, Herod. And Jesus is sent before Herod after his betrayal and after his arrest. And it's amazing. Jesus has nothing in the world to say to Herod. As Dr. Kinlaw said, all that could have been said had been said, there was nothing left to say. And so you've got a Roman appointed king in Herod judging the eternal one who hung the stars and hung the moon. He would then be passed down to Pilate. Why has he come? He's come to save. He's come to redeem. He's come to bring back His people from captivity. He's come to set the world to right. To make all things new. Jesus says, what am I going to pray to my Father when my soul is troubled? Am I seriously going to Say, Father, save me from this hour. No, I was brought here to this hour for this very purpose. Salvation is costly. It is always costly. We speak of salvation so simply and so almost vainly as it's just a free gift yet we don't earn it, we don't work for it, but it costs God everything. John wants us to ask the question, who is He, why has He come, and how has He come? The how is really a question about how salvation comes. And John would Have us understand that salvation comes through sacrifice, especially that of self-giving and self-surrender. The people are crying out a passage from Psalm 118. It's the passage from which we also get the the line, this is the day that the Lord has made. And typically we kind of... Jazz that up, and we like to sing, this is the day the Lord has made, and we think, yeah, it's a good day, it's a good Monday, or it's, it's Friday, the, week, the weekend's here, and we think of it as just kind of a, a, a silly phrase, you know, God's given us this day, what a wonderful thing. But Psalm 18 is about Christ being betrayed and rejected, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone, it is marvelous in our sight, and this is the day that the Lord has made. It ends by saying, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar so it can't move. How has he come? He says, unless a grain of wheat. Falls into the dirt and dies, it's just a grain of wheat. But if it will relinquish itself and fall down into the dirt and be trampled and be crammed into the dirt, and if it will die, it will bear much fruit. He says further, if you love your life so much that you cling to it with every fiber of your being, you'll find in the end you've lost it. You've become small, and you have become bitter, and you have become paranoid, and you will lose it. If you've read them, you should be thinking of the Lord of the Rings, and Smeagol, who was once a good hobbit, but became a A creature closed in on himself. He couldn't even think of himself as a self. If you've seen the movies, which most of you probably have, you'll notice he refers to himself as we and us. There is no I. He has lost his identity because he has become so depraved. He says, however... If you will let go of your life, if you will let go of control, if you will stop insisting I and mine and what I have, if you will let go of it so much so that it seems that you hate your life because you've got no use for it, you will actually keep it for eternal life. See, he's not saying trade in your life in this world so that you'll get to heaven. He says you'll actually keep it and it will become eternal life. It's interesting. I forget where, but C.S. Lewis pointed out that, um, that those gifts that we have, those things, those possessions, those things that we call mine. The we, we're paranoid and we think God's trying to take our stuff, He wants my house and He wants my money and He wants my future and He wants my spouse, whoever she's going to be. Why can't I just have my stuff? I like playing guitar. I like my car. It's pretty cool. It's pretty fast. He said what we'll find is if we will let go and get our, our white fingers off of them. He typically sanctifies those things and gives them right back to us. Jesus knew the secret. He knew that laughably joyous secret if we will but let go of our lives God will make them something beautiful because he's come to redeem and yes it's costly because it means death it means dying to ourselves and it means living for others That's why Jesus came. Not just on Palm Sunday, but that's why Jesus came to begin with. That's why we have Christmas. Because God so loved you. He cared so much about you, and He cared so much about me, and He cared so much about those people outside those doors that we just walk past and think nothing of. God thought so much of them, and He cares so much for them that He said, I will give my everything for them Paul writes a a peculiar little passage in uh, 2nd Corinthians if you haven't read 2nd Corinthians in a long time you ought to read it it's a fascinating book if you're going through troubles and trials and struggles you ought to read it it's phenomenal in my mind it's better than 1st Corinthians but you know I didn't write them so I can sit on the outside and be a critic and not have any skin in the game but um 2 Corinthians in, uh, in chapter 2, Paul says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And he goes on, he says that we become the, the fragrance of God. But then he says a fragrance of death and a fragrance of life. And we think, oh, this is great. This is Jesus. He's triumphantly leading us. He's our victorious king who's going before us and we're celebrating. But that Phrase in that image actually comes from not a Jewish background, but but from another ancient Semitic background. And the king that would be led in would be the defeated king who is bound and is beaten and he is bloodied and he is shamefully brought into the city and behind him are all of his people who are slaves and they go to their death. And it's the world, the, 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 the conquering kingdom that's celebrating. And Paul says, thanks be to God. Because in surrendering himself, in allowing himself to be bound, in allowing himself to be bloodied, in allowing himself to surrender his life for us, he leads us on in triumph. John is awfully concerned in his gospel about glory. And throughout the early chapters, he, he keeps he keeps us at bay. He keeps saying it's not yet time. His hour had not yet come. The time of his glory is not yet. And here we find a little bit of discussion about his glory. Jesus himself says the hour has come. In other words, it is time that the Son of Man should be glorified. And He says that if I'm raised up, I will draw all people to Myself. He glories in His cross. His honor is found in His self-giving, self-surrendering sacrifice. Because it's in the cross that he redeems us. It is in giving of himself, it is in making himself small that he shatters the smallness of self. And so he comes humbly, he comes riding a donkey, not some beautiful white stallion. He comes not for a scepter. He comes not bearing a sword. He comes instead, humbly and quietly, surrounded by the praises of his people, but lowly and riding upon a donkey. For those of you who have been here for the last few years, you know you're not going to get away on Palm Sunday without hearing me read G.K. Chesterton's poem, The Donkey. He said, When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody. And all four-footed things, the tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Our king leads us on a lowly beast of burden. And he enters into the city in what we call the triumphal entry. But he goes to lay down his life. Because in giving of himself, he rescues us. He makes redemption possible. So, John's invitation to us, Jesus' invitation to us, my invitation to you, to myself, to us, is make yourself small. Surrender yourself. Surrender yourself to God in unbroken worship. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, because of what God has done, because he has redeemed us, because he has made a way for us in his Son Jesus, give yourselves, I'm begging you, to God as living sacrifices. Worship is not just something we do on Sunday mornings. It's something that we ought to do on Sunday mornings. But worship is about a life given to Jesus. And so I invite you, I invite myself to unbroken worship. Not just momentary worship on a Sunday morning for an hour or so, but a life lived in praise to God. As Paul said, whether you eat or drink, do it. In the name of Jesus. So your worship should continue tomorrow on Holy Monday. Remembering that it's that day that Jesus turned over the tables and started throwing the money the money bags everywhere and started letting all the, the, the sacrificial animals go and knocking over birds cages and all the chaos that was that day on Holy Monday. Worship Him but he's because he's come to turn our lives over and to shake them out give yourself yourself away in self surrender also to his church in faithful participation if you're able join us for worship this coming friday as we celebrate Good Friday, as we share in a meal of communion together that evening at 7. If you're able, please come. Join us next Sunday as we celebrate and cry out together, He is risen indeed. Give yourself to His church It's in the context of the church that God gives us practical practice in giving ourselves to someone else. To someone else who's perhaps not related to us. Someone else who perhaps doesn't work with us. Someone else who doesn't know what life is like for us. We're given real life practice in giving ourselves in love to another. And give yourself in self-surrender to His world. It's easy to think of, I'm going to give myself for the world in some big cosmic way that really means nothing and produces nothing. Find someone who you can love. Give yourself in sacrificial love. Love always requires a death because love always demands that we put the other... Before us. And together. Let's make this week. A week when we. Remember our Lord's passion. And when we look forward. To our redemption. On Easter Sunday. Let's make this. A holy week. By the way we conduct our lives. And by the way in which we worship Him in all things and to all people. Let's pray.